Welcome to Diversity Champions, the podcast where we talk to thought leaders in the field of equality, inclusion and diversity, individuals with protected characteristics and their representative organisations, and public sector leaders who champion diversity in their work and personal lives. It's brought to you by Yoke Recruitment, reshaping recruitment in the public sector not-for-profit space. We're thrilled to welcome our latest guest to Yoke's Diversity Champions podcast, Denise Curral, Head of People Development at Careers Wales. In conversation with myself, Nikki Jones of Yoke Recruitment, this latest episode delves into the challenges involved in becoming seen as a diverse employer of choice within the public sector. Denise shares a range of tips and gave us some fantastic examples of the processes she's developed and put in place over at Careers Wales. These range from ensuring the language in your job advert is inclusive, through to audit and improve in your application process to encourage applications from a diverse candidate audience and also not alienating those with protected characteristics. And of course, here Denise's top tips for other employers starting out on their journey to improve diversity and inclusion in their organisation. A big thank you to Denise for joining us on this episode. We thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So Denise, lovely to have you with us today. Um, so shall we start by um, you telling us a little bit about your career to date um, and what your current role is within um, within Careers Wales? Absolutely. I um, started my career as a scientist and I worked in um, on electron microscopes working on new ceramic materials for, for car engines and, and that sort of thing. And um, I started to train people to do... Um, work around ceramics and to 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 build information so that we've got better research intelligence and I found that I really enjoyed doing the training side of things so um, at a fairly late point 30 years ago admittedly I went to uh, went back to university and and um, did the, my CIPD qualification in one year um, and came out of there and picked up a, a generalist HR role almost straight away so that was a complete change in my career, but it was at a at a good time in my career, I think. Um, since then, I've worked in HR in international um, roles across um, engineering consulting. I've had my own consultancy business, and I've been with Careers Wales now for twenty years. And um, now wow. I'm in the position of head of people development, which is HR learning development and health and safety. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, I didn't know you had such a diverse background. <laughs> yeah, not many people do know that, but um, but my claim to fame is that the first project I worked on when I was all of 16 years old was on the tiles for the one of the space shuttles. Wow. So I didn't know what I was working on at the time because it was all top secret, but it was it was really nice to find out later. <laughs> I love that. And so um how I suppose why and and how have you become you know focused on the DNI agenda? I think why wouldn't you is is the is the right answer to that question. Why would you not get involved in the DNI agenda? I think there's so many good benefits to be gained by having a diverse workforce. Not only the the different cultural diversity, but the different diversity of. Um, say disability, the different diversity of male and female ratios. There's there's many many different ways that we can slice the DNI agenda really um, across all the protected characteristics. 
And for me, I think it was summed up in a quote. I went to Oman um, a few years ago and um, the Sultan of Oman is a great champion of women in the workforce. And he said, um, just in relation to women, he said that if he ignores the women in his population, he ignores 50% of his country's potential. And to me, that says it all. If you ignore sections of the community, if you choose not to engage with sections of the community, um, then you're missing out on that potential. And to me, um, I think at the moment, we've got a lot of organisations who are all fishing in the same pond for yeah. really excellent talent. So for me, being seen as an employer of choice for diverse groups of, of potential candidates is an essential. We, you, you have to provide the, the environment where people can thrive. And, and it's only by becoming aware of the DNI agenda. I think for me, that, that's, that's the imperative. And that was the case for me 20 years ago when I joined Careers Wales. Um, you know, I implemented things at that point that really we're still using now because they very much set a scene for new people joining us Yeah. Um, and made people feel comfortable that they could join us. And, and that for me is very, very important. Yeah, amazing. And, and so um, in terms of, you know, work that you're mo most proud of in terms of the DNI and, um, you know, work that you've done in that space, do you want to, I suppose, tell us a little bit about some of the, you know, some of the um, things you've implemented that you're most proud of or any kind of good news stories that you've got? I think for me that the, the thing that I always come back to whenever I think about good news stories, and there isn't just one, there's, there's a lot of them, but it's when I think about how we we have in careers wales we have a very good um balance of people with disabilities we employ a lot of people with disabilities and for me it always seems to come back to the fact that where people have a disability they can join us and be comfortable to know that they'll be able to perform to their best abilities we're very good at looking at reasonable adjustments and doing the things that we need to do to make sure that people can work across the board and, and in a diverse number of roles and and feel able to, to do that. But it, and again, I suppose as an extension to that, it's the work that we do with people who have emerging disabilities in the workforce. We've, we've got a very long standing workforce. People tend to join Careers Wales and stay. We have a very, very low turnover. So people inevitably develop disabilities during the course of their employment with us. It's, it's a natural course of, of an ageing population. And um, I'm really proud of the work that we do to, to so that people can maintain their economic activity. They can stay in work. We make the adjustments that make everything right for them again so that they can they can keep on doing the job that they love. And when people write to us and say, thank you so much for what you've you've done, we don't do it for the thanks. But it gives you a nice a nice sense of satisfaction that you've been able to do that. It, it genuinely impacts on people's lives. I think other other things that I am proud of are things like the um, special interest networks that we have going within the organisation now. We've got quite a lot and they vary from mental health support. Um, so these are employee groups who meet on a regular basis and they um, they give each other mutual support, but they also interact with the, the company and engage with the company making suggestions. So they, they're, they're kind of um, 
an improvement forum as well, but that's not the main aim, it's mutual support, but the ideas that come out are very valuable. So we've got ones on menopause, we've got ones on mental health, we have a black employees network, a young employees network, and these are ones that people have chosen to set up. We don't prescribe what people what people are going to do. We have an LGBTQ plus network, um, which at the moment is going is reaching out and going to join a wider network as well. Um, so we we've got all of these groups, and it 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 creates a culture within the organisation that allows people to feel that they can they can be who they want to be. I think it's very important that we can bring our authentic self to work and that we don't need to hide things. If people want to disclose and people want to join these networks, they can. If they don't, that's fine. But at least there's a visible signal there that that their um, diversity is recognised and supported. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that people have felt, um, you know, bold enough to come to come and set up some of these networks as you said they're not pre-subscribed you're not told you know we want this network who wants to be part yeah. the fact that people feel comfortable enough to do that is great and says a lot about the organization I think I think the LGBTQ plus network was the first one and I think the success of that has kind of formed an example then and other people have gone well I can I can support that as well. We we have all sorts of other networks as well. We've got a craft group and we've got a garden a gardening group. So we we've got lots and lots of um, groups that create a community within the organisation, which I think is very important. It it's it's communities and communities and people belong to one or two of the groups. It, it, it's you know it, it's it they can they can be. Um, I don't know, in the menopause support group and a gardener. It, it's, you know, do you know what I mean? It's it's that kind of an environment that makes people feel comfortable to be who they want to be. Yeah. OK. Um, and so in terms of the, the kind of big challenges, what do you think are the biggest kind of remaining challenges and to removing barriers and increasing diversity and inclusion? In careers Wales, I think I think we've we are facing several barriers. The biggest one is that we have, as I said, we've, we've got a very stable workforce. People join us and they stay with us for a very long time. So that then doesn't give us much of an employee turnover. We're on about two to three percent turnover on any given year, which means that um, we don't have vacancies to be able to recruit outwards often enough to be able to make a massive difference all at once. So whilst we're impatient to improve our diversity profiles, we've we've got to live within our funding. So so that's always going to be a challenge. I think the second challenge is one that I've already alluded to, which is the the fact that there's an awful lot of organisations who are fishing in the same pond. Uh, some some of the diverse communities in Wales are quite small. And um, when we're looking for specialist skills, we're looking for people who are going to be attracted to us, to the type of work that we offer, to the type of organisation that we are. And there's a lot of us competing for the same talent in, in Wales. You must also find that in, in your oh, work. Absolutely, yeah. And um, and so that's a big challenge. And and so what the way I'm looking at this now is that we need to work with various communities, community groups, community leaders, um, the parents of young people, we need to work with them so that when they think about a career moving forward, they think on a wider wider scale than maybe some of the larger public authorities, public bodies, and think, yes, well, Careers Wales has great career paths. They have 
really good DNI policies. They support their workers. Um, we need to become a recognised employer of choice. And that's that takes time, effort, energy and work. We're doing things like um, dropping drop in sessions for people so they can come and ask us about what it's like to work in careers Wales. Because for us, it's really important that just as with many, many organisations that are public facing, it's really important that when a customer comes in, that they can see people who are like them. So, you know, it, that could be somebody from the same ethnicity. It could be somebody with a disability. Um, it could be a man or a woman, different or a transgender person. It could be anything. But we need um, we need customers to feel comfortable that there are people who are like them in our organisation because we can be seen as very um, bland white organisations, if you like. And, yeah. and so that's a challenge for us is to become an employee, of an employer of choice. Um, so I think these are these are the challenges that we're facing. It's 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 about having the opportunities, but when the opportunities are there, that we've got a community who's ready to actually come and work for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, you are. Um, I think in terms of becoming an employer of choice, as you've said, I think all of that hard work and all of these things that you do and all of these initiatives you've got in the business will pay dividends and as you said it is a time you know it's not a quick win it's not something that happens overnight no. but I think you've been at it long enough and um, you know as you say when you joined 20 years ago Denise you know you've already started looking ahead you're probably that's already probably starting to pay off. Yeah I implemented um, biodata free recruitment 20 years ago which was pretty leading edge then I know more organizations are adopting it now but I've been to sessions recently where people have said well why would you do that surely you want to know what their name age and address is and I'm you know surely you want to know what year they went to school and what, what are the gaps in their career history and to me none of those things matter when you're deciding whether you want to interview somebody you you don't need to know all of that you just need to know that the person's got basic skills that they can bring to you the core skills that you're asking for and then you can deal with the rest later once once uh, once they're in a face to face interview situation. It's a different ball game then. You can you can start to tease out what they can do and what they can bring to you. But um, yes, the, there was quite a lot of resistance to that in the beginning. But it's it, it, that's definitely definitely paid off. Yeah. Um, so you've just alluded to one of the things which kind of leads on to my next question, which is how do DNI considerations or policies? Um, specifically feed into your kind of your organization's recruitment processes so you've just touched on the kind of the you know yeah. um, blind applications well, we've, we've been doing that for a long time and um, and so that's that's something that we're is well embedded within our processes but even that you know I'm hearing from community leaders for example that people who've got the wrong address don't get interviews if people change their it used to be that if you whitened your application if you like that you would get an interview whereas now that's not even enough you 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 need to change your address change your name change change everything and and to me that is it, it's completely abhorrent really that that people have to feel that they have to do that sort of thing so yes we haven't accepted cvs for for 20 years because of the difficulty of eliminating gender bias language but the other things that we do are things like we are very careful about the wording that we use in job ads because certain words can be very gender biased you know you talk about strong leadership you talk about um 
energetic leadership. They can be very masculine words which put off women. Um, alternatively, you, you could be more more um, gentle in the tone, which would would um, not appeal to males. So, so we're very careful now to to use gender neutral language in job ads. Um, yeah. because, you know, we we want to attract um, as broad a range as possible. We're a seventy six percent female organisation, and most of the people who would write ads are female. So, we, you know, it's something that we have to be very careful of. And, and we're perhaps unusual in that because it's usually a little bit more male biased, but we're, we're the other way around. Um, I did a long piece of work, a big piece of work on looking at the different types of language that women and men will use in an application form, for example. Okay. And where women will tend to use the we and men will tend to use the I. Whether they did it or not, they'll say they did it, whereas women will be very collective about it. So this, so when we're reading um, application forms, we have to be very careful to look at things like unconscious bias, because bias is like a nose. We all have one. We all, we all have our preferences. And um, so we've done a lot of work around unconscious bias. You can't get rid of people's unconscious biases, but you can make them aware of them so that they don't bring them to, to the table when they're doing an exercise or a, something like that. So we've, we've done a lot of work around that. We have we try to have balanced panels. So we'll always have a, a mixed gender um, interview panel and, and shortlisting panel. Yeah. So, um, so there's all of those things. Um, so yeah, th those are the those are the things that we've done, and that they're our main policies. But we're moving beyond that now. We're starting to move into looking at um, you know age as a protected characteristic, and we don't want to be, be putting off by our application process any particular age group. And there's been an awful lot of work done recently on um, things like abandon rate for applications. So if an application form is too onerous. Yeah. It's really interesting that um, that younger people are less likely to abandon it than older people are. Yeah. So we're looking at our application process really forensically now to see what could be the things that would put, put people off applying for it to us. Because it's very easy to send a CV, but we don't accept CVs. Yeah. So, so then you're asking them to work on an application form. If they don't want to fill in application forms that are lengthy, what can we do instead? So we're looking now at... at um, a sort of a, a micro initial um, application that only if they pass that will they proceed to the next stage. So, so we're looking at that. That's very, very embryonic at the minute as a project, but it's really exciting because it really is playing into lots and lots of the diversity agenda. Um, you know, it's it's things like um, here's a good one. Things like setting the bar. The things that we would think were perfectly normal to ask for, people from, say, ethnically diverse backgrounds might not have had the opportunity to gather those skills, but they might have other skills. So by setting the bar too high or being too prescriptive about what you're asking for, it can put people off. Asking, saying that somebody has to drive, do they really have to drive or do they just need to get from place to place? Um, because that then could put off people with certain disabilities that can't drive. So so it's about thinking about it a little bit wider and thinking, are we really setting this bar too high for people? And I'm not saying you don't recruit for quality, because, of course, you always have to recruit for quality. But it's 
are you asking for the right things? So, so we're doing a big piece of work on that at the minute as well. Yeah, wow. And, you know, what I like about that, Denise, is you're not just taking for granted, you know, you've done, you know, you're doing some of the um, the data work at the minute and looking at those kind of the fallout rates from applications. And it'd be very easy to say, oh, we've noticed that, you know, the younger people aren't applying because the application is too long. So, well, let's just shorten it and then that'll capture them. You're looking at all of the other parts of that to make that application, yeah. not just the age, but let's look at the kind of the um, disability, let's look at ethnicity and then let's just make sure actually it's there for everybody. Yeah, and we know we know that people just want to make an application through their mobile phone. They don't want to have to go online. And, and you'll again, this is something that you'll know. People yeah. really want to simplify the application process, indicate an interest, see whether they're going to get any further before they invest. Yeah. So and again, if, we're, if we're going to get the best candidates, that's what we need to do. Um, we need to, to shorten the time because, you know, we're in a time now where there's, the, there's a million vacancies for the first time in the UK. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're at a time now where people are going to be being snapped up really quickly. So we've got to be very slick about it all as well. We're absolutely in that market, Denise. It's really buoyant out there. And, yeah. you know, candidates are getting snapped up quickly. Um, but as you said, you know, you want to attract the best talent, but you also want to attract the most diverse and you want people to be engaged in your processes because mm. they're engaged in the process and they think that there's an opportunity for them, that re there really is an opportunity for them, despite their disability or despite their ethnicity, that actually then they will take the time to invest and do that application. Yeah. And yeah. through all of the hard work you're doing outside of that, that's what creates that. That's what generates that person to think, actually, I will take the time to do this application. Yeah. It is a real fine balancing act <laughs> of getting the buy-in, getting them interested um, and asking them to, you know, to take that time when there's another company down the road that, you know, is a CV, you know, CV send, apply all and see what happens. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is certainly a balancing act. Um, and so obviously, you've, it sounds like you've got a lot in process already and you've just touched on um, one of something that you've got in play currently. So what's next on the action plan for you, you know, within, um, you know, you guys over there at Careers Wales? What's next? I think building building on the work that we're doing with communities and getting to really know what our recruitment communities are. Um, I think that's that's the key thing for us. It's putting in some real, real hard graph now with the communities. We're also looking at, um, there's a group of um, Welsh Government sponsored bodies like us, um, Welsh Government funded bodies, and we're looking at doing a joint um, a joint project to help us to look at those communities. So that would be a really, really interesting thing to do. And of course, we, we can't forget when we're talking about DNI in Careers Wales, we're not only talking about DNI in our HR sphere, we're also looking at DNI for our customers. So there's a lot, always lots of work going on in Careers Wales as to how we provide services to the customer that are tailored to them so yeah. that they, they get a service at their point of need. That we don't leave anybody behind, you know, whether whether that be an economic disadvantage or um, a protected characteristic disadvantage. We don't leave anybody behind in, in the terms of being a customer of ours as well. Yeah, so, I've never even thought about the customer base, but of course it's work. like... Same, yeah. Yeah, it's um it's it's really, really key for us that we we can um engage engage all sections of the community, let's put it that way, not only as a as a potential employer, but as a provider of services. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of people listen to podcasts is, you know, these are people, organisations that are at the start of their journey and which is why we, you know, we've, you know, you've gladly accepted our invitation to be part of this today. And that's because you've done a lot and you're quite far down that, you know, down that path in um, in the um, agenda. And so a lot of people are just starting that process, you know, and maybe not sure where to start and what the kind of the key things are. And I suppose, you know, how best they can learn from others, you know, what others have been there and done that and the path that's been trod before. So I think, um, you know, what what would you say your top, you know, your top tips for other organisations that are just maybe at the start of their kind of DNI journey? I think the first thing they need to know is what is it they want to achieve. I think before it's it's not it's no good saying I want to I want to improve my diversity. It, so to do that, you, you you would have to look at what are your recruitment communities, what 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 are your your people metrics. You could be you could find that you're really strong in say disability, just like us, we're really strong in disability. Um, but it could be that all your top team is of one gender. So there's no balance there. So it's really slicing all of your HR data and finding out where potentially your, your hotspots are, areas that you're very strong on, so you can maintain them. But there are going to be areas where you really need to improve your profiles. So it's really doing that base piece of work. Before you run off and try and do anything else, it's really decide on the top three things that you, you need to achieve mm-hmm. and set yourself some goals around that. So that, that I think is is fundamental. And then it's it's doing what we're doing. It's working with communities to find out what it is they need from an employer. Um, and that's your communities, not only externally, but your internal communities as well. Um, you know, we do regular engagement surveys that talk about whether people are feeling harassed or whether they're, um, they've ever experienced discrimination because we need to know that baseline and they need to know that baseline. So that again, they they know where their areas of of potential difficulty could be, um, because you you need to set the expectations with your own employees. You you've got a community of employees sitting there already, who will have their own biases, their own prejudices. Again, because everybody does, but it's about setting the parameters of behaviours that you expect, um, and creating that that culture where people can feel welcomed and and not marginalised. Um, as I said, there's nothing worse than people coming to work and thinking they've got to hide things about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard stories about people in, in say, same-sex relationships where they can never talk about what they did at the weekend because they don't want people to know that they're in a same-sex partnership, which to me is just, it, it must be the most stressful thing ever. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's really worth looking at. It's talking to your internal communities and your external communities because your own employees will know where where the difficult hotspots are and sorry just to go back to that Denise you mentioned the um, internal which you've touched on there how do you engage externally with um you know communities what type of work do you do there I've I've been engaging with community leaders um in various areas so I've gone out and given two communities really I suppose I've I've been out and spoken to I've been out and spoken to um ethnic diverse ethnically diverse groups in um, in Cardiff, so I've engaged with the community leaders there and um, and talked to talk to them and some of their young people who attend their groups. If you like, 
right? Yes. So we joined the Citizens Compact, which I think only 17 organisations in Wales have been able to join. And you make a commitment around um, name and address blind recruitment, around paying the living wage, um, no zero hours contracts. It's those sorts of things. So you, you basically contract to be a good employer, if you like. Yeah. So we've achieved the Citizens Compact um, Good Employer Award, if you like. So, so through that, then we've been able to access different community groups and community leaders. So that's one way. Um, and then the other group of people I've been doing some work with, again, under that banner, really, is the HR leaders of the future, talking to them about what constitutes good practice. Um, mm -hmm because they, they're the people who are really going to make a difference. You know, I'm towards the end of my career now, but these are the people who are coming through who are going, really going to make the difference. But they need to be able to challenge their HR leaders in the organisations that they ultimately join and say, well, we could do it like this. We don't have to keep perpetuating things from the past. We can move forward. We can try different things. And these are some of the things I've picked up along the way. So that's that's been really really fulfilling to be honest to talk to, to them because they're a lively engaging group you know and they're, they're asking questions and it's only by doing things like that you learn as well so so that's good then the next thing the next tip is to you don't have to go for the badge or go for the accreditation badges are nice to have but you don't have to have them but one of the things that's useful that we found is to work through the um, assessment criteria for various awards. So things like disability confidence, if um, the Stonewall Equality Index, again, you don't have to apply for the Equality Index. But if you if you've worked through the criteria that they use to assess, then you know roughly where where you're doing the right things. So we've had Stonewall review all our policies, for example, for, for inclusion. Um, and, I, you know, I'd recommend that they do that. Definitely look at your policies and look at the wording um, to make sure that they are fully inclusive, even down to not using she and he, but using their or they. Um, it, it's the simple things, but they, they make somebody who's reading it, read it and think about themselves rather than think about other people or, oh, that doesn't yeah. apply to me because... Um, further down the line, think about employee networks um, because you'll get, get such good information from them. Um, you know, our Black Employees Network has come up with some really great ideas for how we can promote promote our work to ethnic, ethnic I can't say it, ethnically diverse communities <laughs> yeah. and, and recruits, you know. So so that's that's been really good. Um, one thing I didn't say earlier on when I talked about what we were proud of is that we have a female chief exec. And um, we're one of only 10% of organisations in Wales that have a female chief exec. So, you know, we've got leadership from the top in, in looking at diversity. So um, that's, that's perhaps something that's worth saying is that you have to get buy-in from your top tiers if you're going to achieve anything because it'll require time, it'll require energy, it'll require budget um, and it'll require them to to kind of think outside the box in accepted practices. So you've got to have your senior leadership team on board for all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe, you know, having a female chief exec is 
maybe you know part of the reason why you've got such a, a female you know um based workforce you know i'm sure yeah, that that's certainly come into play i um did some work you know we merged from eight eight companies back in yeah. 2013 i did some work because i took over as head of hr for the whole the whole shebang at that point and the companies had never really had much to do with each other but you know every company had an eight um a 75 25 split male to female wow and i did some work with ponty uh, university of pontypridd when they used to do a careers qualification and i asked them what was their application rate 75 25 that seems wow. to be the the kind of split in society that wants to yeah. come and be a careers advisor for example so, <laughs> so that was really interesting and I think the final thing from me is that anybody who's starting out on this journey needs to acknowledge that they don't know what they don't know yet. Yeah. And it's really go and get some help, get get help from from um, disability groups, from ethnic groups, from from um, Stonewall, from there's tons of help out there but but just go and access it because they they know what you don't know yeah yeah absolutely I love that um have you got any other tips Denise we can squeeze from you before we leave you today I think that's probably about it I think <laughs> we, normally ask, we normally ask for three and I think you've gave us five or six really great ones there so thank you for that Denise <laughs> Um, well, and that, that's it for me. We, I've really, really thoroughly enjoyed hearing everything you've got to say. Obviously, part of it we've spoken about before, Denise, which is why we invited you to be a guest, because you do so much in this area. So thank you for what you do for all of your employees and, you know, um, all the, the wider community. And, and obviously, thank you for sharing what you know with obviously our community here as well at Yoke. Thank you, Denise. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Diversity Champions from Yoke Recruitment. You can find out more about the work our dedicated public sector and not-for-profit division does in supporting organisations across the UK to fulfil their recruitment needs at our website, yokerecruitment.com. If you'd like us to cover a particular topic or be involved as a guest on a future episode, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us via the details on our website, yokerecruitment.com.